One last thing we want to bring to your attention is uh, we are kind of going back to the way we used to practice the Lord's Supper and communion here. As you can see, we have the elements in front of us here. Um, We're going to be passing out the trays at the end of our um, message time today. And I'll be transitioning us into a time of intentional remembrance of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on our behalf. And so uh, we are a little out of practice, so hopefully we'll get through this in a timely manner and get everybody and the elements distributed. Um, If you don't feel comfortable with having the trays passed to you, just go ahead and back away and you can make sure that it gets passed on to the next person next to you. Um, If you don't want to grab the elements here... Um, we do have some of the old elements back there. Not, they're not old, but it's the old way we did it, right? They're not crusty or moldy, but uh, it's the, the pre-made packets uh, that you can be there. And so I'll give some more instructions about communion later on, but just wanted to kind of make you aware of that. It is a communion Sunday, especially for those of you online. Make sure that you're prepared by the end of the message time that we can participate together. All right. Well, both the continuation of the themes and the culmination of this book of James are found in the final verses that we're going to look at today. So some of the themes and the thoughts that occupied the book make one last appearance in this passage, and they demand to be dealt with for one final time. So I also recognize that as you read James 5, especially verses 12 through 20, there's also a little bit of confusion and ambiguity In these final verses, questions that might raise up in your mind, like I thought this this week as I was studying and I've thought about this even as I've studied James for many years now is, well, should I ever take an oath? You know, what if I'm I'm court ordered as a witness and I must swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth? But James says, don't swear, don't take an oath. So what do I do there, Right? Or what if I have some sort of illness or one of my friends has an illness, even a terminal illness? Can I just get the elders of a church to rub some oil on me and guarantee my healing or my friend's healing? Okay, what, what does James mean by all this stuff? Or what if I pray like Elijah? He was just like us, by the way. So if I do that, can I control the weather? You know, it's raining today. I'd rather have it be sunny on Father's Day, Right? Some of you as you were walking in, I was giving you side hugs, and I realized I had to stop doing that because I was drenched, right? So I'm not sweating, I'm just wet from the rain. So these are some of the, the confusion and the ambiguity that, that finds itself in these verses. And there's a lot, honestly, that we're not going to get to today, and we can be okay with that. But what we do get to today will be even more than enough to apply to our lives We're going to all have various ways to apply this passage throughout the duration of our lives. And so with that in mind, knowing that we're not going to get to everything in these verses here, but most of them, some of them, what we do get to, we will be able to apply to our lives specifically. So let's go ahead and turn to James chapter 5. And before we do that, before we read his holy word, let's talk to the holy God together. God, we just ask for your ability um, to discern these things God, I'm mindful, even as I step into the pulpit now, um, of Paul's recognition that these things are spiritually discerned. He tells that to the Corinthians, I believe it's in chapter 2 of his epistle, and so I could speak, I could say a lot of words, um, but it will fall on deaf ears unless your spirit kind of quickens our hearts to receive them. 
And so, God, I pray that in these moments that you would be the one speaking and preaching and your word would go out and that we'd have great discernment as to see what we're to apply in our lives in these last final verses. We thank you for the opportunity to be participants in the preaching ministry. Um, We all need to listen and have ears to hear this morning what James was led so many years ago to say as he closes his epistle. So, God, I pray that we would believe and that we would trust and that we would obey all that this word tells us to do today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's look at James chapter 5, and we are going to finish James today. Um, James chapter 5, verses 12 through the end of the book. Let's read. Words will be on the screen or have a copy of the scriptures in front of you, where James says, starting in verse 12, But above all, my brothers, that's also brothers and sisters, the family of God, Do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Is any one of you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, my brothers and sisters, the family of God, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. May the Lord add his blessing to those of us who read and who hear and seek to obey and trust this word today. So, kind of an interesting sermon title. We're going to be talking about pinky swears, prayers, and repairs today. Some of you, when you read that in the Spirit of Faith email, are like, what in the world? Sean's gone crazy. All right, I get it. Um, Today, we're going to talk about these different categorical things as James brings it up. So let's talk about pinky swears, okay? Has anyone ever pinky sweared somebody in the room, right? You're like, I did it this morning, right? Right? Remember pinky swears? If you break this promise, what happens? I get to what? Break your pinky. Did you know that? That's like the origins of it. You're like, okay, I'm never pinky swearing again, all right? That, that, that's it, right? If you, if you pinky swear somebody, what you're saying is like, my word is to be trusted to the degree that if I break it, you get to break my pinky. Oh my goodness. And I actually looked into pinky swears and found that in Japan, there's actually a ramped up version of the pinky swear. I talked about it a little bit on the Review Preview podcast. Apparently, if you break the promise there, they cut your pinky off, all right? So where's Ron and Katie Cisco? I was going to check your pinkies today. Because they were missionaries. There they are there, right? They were missionaries in Japan, right? Not only that, they cut off your pinky, but then as, apparently you have to swallow a thousand needles, okay? 
that's, that's not good, right? So, so if you must break your word, don't break it in Japan, all right? Practical application, right? So James doesn't say that our pinkies will get broken or that they'll be cut off or that we'll have to swallow a thousand needles or needles will be stuck into our eyes, right? But if we break our word, what does he say? Well, he says it here, above all, my brothers, don't swear either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. Fall under condemnation for taking, a swear, for taking an oath or swearing or not letting your yes be yes or your no be no. That, that, sounds, that sounds pretty daunting to me, right? I'd much rather just kind of break a pinky versus fall under condemnation, depending on what that condemnation looks like. And people honestly have wrestled with where this verse fits in proximity to the whole book. And I personally think it makes the most sense to connect it to what came before so that in this way, it's kind of a capstone teaching on how we ought to use our words. James has been talking about our tongue and our words for multiple chapters now. And what we see here in this passage is kind of like a final word against duplicitous speaking. But when I read it, I, I, I recognize it sounds a little strange to us. At least it did for me as I was reading it and studying it this week. So above all, don't swear. Not just saying a bad word, but don't swear. Don't, don't elevate some words over other words. In other words, I, James, have told you many things. Now here is the most important thing. Is that what James means by this, above all? And it just kind of seems a little hyperbolic, especially when you consider all the other things that we've looked at in this section. Why would taking an oath be more detrimental to the community than things like fighting and quarreling and murdering and coveting, exploiting the poor, grumbling, causing division? Those, those seem to be like more above all types of things versus like, okay, really trust me on this one. You know, I swear. Come on, James, really? That's above all? Oath-taking is what we need to guard against above all? It just didn't quite set right. It's like, what does he mean by this? And I don't think that James is trying to communicate to us that verse 12 is the highest command of the book, even though it finds itself in chapter 5. I don't think that James is saying with this phrase, look, as long as you get this one down, you can just kind of, you know, do okay at the other areas, right? Everything else I said in the book, but as long as you get this one above all else, if that's the case, why would he say everything else he said in the book? Why wouldn't he just say something like this? Dear dispersion, exercise verbal integrity. Thanks for reading. Your pal, James, right? That would have been a very easy sermon series, right? But no, this admonition here is about oath-taking is simple it's succinct, and it's true, but it needed to be teased out throughout the rest of the duration of the letter that James had written, and here he takes one final stab at the theme, and what he's addressing here is very important for us all, so connect for a moment. The topic that he's addressing is personal integrity. And James... As he is writing to Christians who claim to be people who follow the one who is himself 
the way, the truth, and the life, if you're writing to people who are following him, you had better be writing to people who mean what they say and say what they mean. If we talk the talk, we must walk the walk. It's an issue of credibility that he's getting at. Followers of Christ, above all, need to embody and make good on what we say to others. And James seems to be bringing this matter up of personal verbal integrity. We must be people whose words matter. So there should be some level of conviction potentially residing in the room. I know it was in my heart this week. And even as I preach, man, there's a lot of times I don't make good on my word. So I don't think this verse forbids proper swearing or oath-taking, depending on what cultural context you find yourself in. There's actually places in the New Testament where the Apostle Paul himself amplifies the power of a certain number of his words by calling God as his witness. He says that to the Corinthians. I call God as my witness. Well, here's Paul swearing, taking an oath. He's ramping up some elevated words for a moment, right? So I don't think that this verse forbids proper oath-taking or swearing in certain contexts. But think about this. The inherent problem with swearing by something or giving an oath or making a vow is an attempt to make some of your words appear more truthful than others. That's just the, the, the long and short of it. There's kind of a problem with that. If you have to resort to pinky swearing... In order for someone to take you serious, you have a serious problem with the rest of your patterns of speech and your personal integrity and your willingness to put into practice that what you said you will do. Do you see that? That's what James is getting at. So I believe that there's a time and a place for placing greater emphasis on certain amount of our words like wedding vows, court of law, I make a really big deal of this when we bring in members for membership here at FCC. We, we ascribe to some membership aspirations. And we kind of make, we make these, these promises like, I will uphold these New Testament one and others with you and with me and with everybody else that gathers here. When I was ordained as a pastor in the EFCA denomination, I actually specifically asked the council to, be, to ask one question at the very end of my session. I requested that this question was asked at my council, and this is the question, will you bring reproach on the gospel of Christ? The only correct response to that question is, I will not. Not a hope to not, or if, if God gives me the grace. No, it's I will not bring reproach upon the gospel of Christ. It was a resolution. It wasn't a I hope so. The things that we're really resolved to do, we ought to make every effort to accomplish and make good on them. So this verse is not a prohibition on swearing as much as it is an exhortation to make every word that comes out of your mouth have intention, meaning, and find its real fulfillment in our lives. So listen, if you say you're going to do something, make sure, above all else, that what you said you will do, 
gets done. Do you think that's applicable in your household, right? Kids to your parents, parents to your kids, spouses to each other. If you say you're going to do something, make sure above all else that what you said you will do gets done. For Christ followers, our yeses must truly mean yes, and our noes must truly mean no. Do what you say you'll do. One commentator said this, Christians must remain at the forefront of those whose words can be trusted unquestioningly. So think about one just real, real, real brief point of application. I know we could apply it in a thousand ways, kids to parents, parents to kids, spouses, church member to church member. Do what you say you'll do. But think about this. One of the things that I struggle with, and I've struggled with historically, and I've gotten better at this, is when you say that you'll pray about or for something, can we actually do that? Like we so often, oh, I'll, I'll pray for you. Like can we, can we actually pray then? Maybe even, I have, I've done that. I was like, I've stopped myself and said, can I pray for you right now? Because I know I will get busy and I'll forget about you. That's just the nature of it. And sometimes I'll say, as you come across my mind, I'll pray for you. I want to be a person of my word because a lot of times I say I'll pray and then I just don't or I forget about it. So one brief practical application for all Christians is this. If you say you're going to pray about something for real, then actually do it. A lot of times you say that about decisions, right? Or when you just want to buy some time. Well, I'll pray about it, right? See if the Lord leads me. It's like, well, then go do it, right? Don't just say you're going to do it and then never pray and then come back two weeks later and say, well, I kind of felt like I really ignored it. And, you, know, you know, so actually do that. So James talks about pinky swearing. And now we're going to move on to prayers. So pinky swears and prayers. We can't miss the theme and the importance of prayer in this paragraph. Let's read it again. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. These are kind of verbal, melodic prayers to God. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power in its working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours and he prayed fervently that it might not rain. And for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. You can't miss the theme of prayer in this paragraph. We get so bogged down in all these little, like the little things in the paragraph, but don't miss this idea about prayer. So let me quickly categorize the times and the means and the ways in which we should pray from these verses. Look at this. We should pray when we're suffering. We should pray or sing praise, give verbal melodic prayers when we're cheerful. We should have those in spiritual authority pray over us. We should pray as we're filled with faith. We should pray with and for one another. We should pray with clean hands and pure hearts. We should pay, pray, pay. We should pray because it has great power. We should pray in a fervent manner. 
for God to do what only he can do according to his will like Elijah did. And we should pray according to God's timetable to end seasons of drought in our lives like Elijah did. Prayer, 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 prayer. There might be a whole bunch of questions that pop into our minds as we read these verses. And we're not going to tease out every implication of these verses today. Because I actually think that staying on the surface of these verses and making a rather generic point will be more powerful than doing a deep dive into these verses. So don't miss the forest through the trees this morning. When you read these verses, make sure you see what James is getting at. Here's the main, above all, point of these verses. Christians are to be people who appropriately pray at all times and in all circumstances. So here's the question. Are you praying? Really? Are you? Or you just kind of think thoughts sometimes about God? Do you really, do I, do I really pray to God and seek after him? Sometimes it's sentence prayers. Like when Nehemiah quickly talked to God before he appeared before a king who had the power and the authority to make a massive decision about Nehemiah's people and their future. There's a verse in Nehemiah that says, and so I prayed and then I addressed the king. It's like a little quick time where you're just interjecting this commentary and discussion with God. Sometimes it's long prayers, like Solomon's prayer for the dedication of the temple. Or it could even be three full chapters of discussion with your father like Jesus did in the upper room. Regardless of the scenario or the length, we have to pray. James says, when you're suffering, pray. When you're cheerful, pray. When you can't pray, for yourself, enlist the help of others to pray. Go get some spiritual authorities to pray over you. And then get those that are seating in the seats next to you to pray with you and for you. So that's the forest. We must be people who pray. It's back to the basics. Be a person of your word. Be somebody who prays. So that's the forest, but let's look at a few trees just to get in here. I want to zoom in on a few trees that we find in the forest of verses 13 through 18 that I think are important to see. And we're not going to look at every little species of tree that we find here. There's a lot that we could get into, but I want to pull a few things out and take notice. And first of all, the first thing that we need to see is the tree of suffering and trials. It's there again. It's there again. First of all, this theme, or this tree, if you will, according to the analogy, of suffering and trials, we've seen this all throughout James. And it makes one final appearance here yet again. Look at verse 13. Is anyone among you suffering? Look at verse 14. Is anyone among you sick? The way he opens this section is rather comical if you sit through the teaching ministry of James in one sitting, right? He asks the question, is anyone among you suffering? Uh, yeah. James, haven't you read what you wrote? Of course. Not just anyone, but every one of us is suffering. To some degree or another, we're going to experience trials 
as we make our way through a curse-filled world. We talked about this last week. And we talked about it on week two of our series when we looked at chapter one, verses two through four. We are all going to be acquainted with some sort of sorrow. We will all experience trials that come in a variety pack. And it's just the way it's going to be. This is the standard operating procedure while living in a place that's desperately in need of being repaired. And so James, once again, the theme is here. We are going to experience pain and painful things in this life. Is any one of you sick? Is any one of you suffering is what he says. But there's purpose even in our pain. And I thought about the quote from C.S. Lewis. Pain insists on being attended to. God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks to us in our conscience. But he shouts to us in our pains. It's actually his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. Pain insists on being attended to. So in other words, pain makes us pay attention. It demands and it draws our attention. Think about the last time you thought about your toes. You don't really think about it. But what happens if you stub your toe? What do you think about How bad your toe hurts, right? Pain draws attention to itself. So James says, if you're suffering, pray. If you're sick, get people to pray for you. So maybe one of the reasons why we experience suffering and pain is that we actually turn our attention Godward. So the more hardships we experience, the more built-in opportunities we have to cry out to God and exercise faith in his will being done. God, this hurts right now. I'm hurt, and I want you to know it. I'm experiencing pain and suffering, and I'm going to turn my attention to you because my pain insists to be attended to. And we exercise faith in his will being done. And that's the second tree that I want to look at in these verses, in this forest of these verses And this species of tree is called ordinary people practicing faith. Ordinary people practicing faith is what we see on display in this passage. Every believer, every believer has access to an effective prayer life. Praying is not just for the spiritually elite. In fact, There are no spiritually elite. We are all one in Christ, according to the Apostle Paul in Romans 5. Through him we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. So when ordinary people pray, they are exercising faith. Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, remember? Matthew 6. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven... Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Our greatest ambition as a Christian, as a follower of the king, is to see the king's will unfold and come to fruition. That's our ultimate desire. And so we pray in faith knowing that God's will will be done. And so when you read the verses in James chapter 5 and you're instructed to pray for rather miraculous things to happen, 
if those things do happen, we can know with certainty that God's will was done. So let's see what James says. Look at 5.15. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. If he's committed sins, he'll be forgiven. Look at verse 17 and 18. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. And then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. So what are we supposed to see here? I think it's this. The prayer of faith or the prayer offered in faith or by faith is a prayer that ultimately says, Thy will be done here, Lord. That's how we're taught to pray. That's the way that Jesus taught us. So the sick person that James is referring to here would not be made well if the Lord's will wasn't done, right? And it's the same thing with the story of Elijah. God didn't shut up the heavens because Elijah's will was being done, but because of God's own will was being done as Elijah was praying for it to unfold. So I don't presume to be very mature, nor do I feel like I've arrived on some elevated level of spirituality, but one thing that I have grown in is in my ability to pray. And so let me share with you my two most offered in faith prayers that I, as an ordinary person with a nature just like Elijah's, most frequently pray. These are two prayers that I pray multiple times a day. God, help, and thy will be done. That's a mature, robust, full prayer life that I've arrived at. God, help, thy will be done. In this way, I'm so childlike. Back to the basics, so simple, right? I'm so dependent on God and his purposes. That's the essence of my very ordinary faith. Hebrews 11.6 says, For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So I seek his help and I seek his will to be done. Me simply crying out to God and saying, God, help, is the indicator that I believe that he actually exists and that he's actually able to intervene. Otherwise, I wouldn't go to him. I wouldn't say, God, help. So I'm coming to him in faith. But when I say, thy will be done, it's an indicator that I really truly am, I truly am entrusting myself to his providential purposes in my life. I could share stories of like when dramatic things happened in my life and I was completely out of control and I was able to say in a moment, God's got this. Probably the scariest moment of my life, but God's got this. Thy will be done. I'm entrusting myself to his providential plans. And guess what? I shouldn't and I don't think I need to try to convince any of you that I'm just an ordinary man. I am just ordinary. I'm up here, but I, I'm, no, I'm not on a pedestal. I am just like you. And you are just like me. And we're all just like Elijah, according to James. And every other saint who has gone before is now or that will come after us. We all can say this, okay, Dad. Okay, Dad, I trust 
that you know what's best. I need your help. You're working it out all for, for my good and for your glory. So be it. That's prayer. That's prayer offered in faith. That, I believe, is pleasing to God. And I think that's the type of faith that God actually rewards. So what type of reward are we talking about? Well, there's a lot of things. Let me tell you the most rewarding thing in the here and now that I feel when I pray like this. God help, thy will be done. Do you know what's the most rewarding thing to me in that moment? Dethroning myself and letting God be God. (laughs) Do you know how freeing that is? Do you know how absolutely freeing that is? It means that I don't have to say all the right words when I pray. I don't have to heap up a whole bunch of religious phrases to kind of twist God's arm. I don't have to try to manipulate and manufacture my own will being done. I can simply express deep, dependent, childlike trust in God to accomplish his kingdom purposes in his timing and in his way. You know what that is? That's freeing. That's a reward. That's a great reward that God can give when we come to him in prayer. So here's the point of application. Pray. Pray with and for your spouse. Pray with and for your kids. Pray with and for your friends. And with those who make up this household of faith that gather here. Come to our equipping hour. And our corporate prayer times that we offer every third week of the ministry year. Think about that. We have, we have if you could break the year up, and we, could, we have so much to teach and equip people on, we say, we need to take one-third of that time to pray. That's how important it is. We could probably do two-thirds. We could do three-thirds of that time. Do you know how much instruction I receive when I pray? So come to our corporate equipping prayer hour that we offer every third week throughout the ministry year. You'll be blessed. You'll be a blessing if you come and participate because you will be doing that which you've been instructed to do by James and by Jesus, people who pray. So sometimes you just need to go back to the basics, and I think that's what James is saying here. Look, are you a person of your word? Look, are you a person who prays? Pinky swears, prayers, and now repairs. It's pretty simple stuff here. Pretty simple stuff. Look at verses 19 through 20. My brothers, my, the family of God, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Once again, we're not going to see everything in these verses, but we will see the main thing and seek to apply it. With the final two verses of James, we're all summoned to action one last time. James doesn't end his, conclude his correspondence the way that Paul does. Remember Paul, he's like, sometimes he's like, see my own handwriting, grace and peace, signing off. James actually takes the last two verses, and we would come to understand this about him, to encourage us to help others apply all that he's already talked about in the book. We, the brotherhood and the sisterhood of believers, are summoned to seek after those who are wandering from the truth. 
He says, go get them. Go get them and start help them doing the truth that I've written about so far. Instead of watching them wander away from it, go grab them. And he says it's going to be worth it. Yes, it might be hard and costly, but it will be absolutely worth it. Doing what must be done to save souls from death and to cover a multitude of sins, James says, is worth it. If we had interviewed Jesus and we asked him if what he did was worth it, he would say, I did what I did because of the joy set before me. And so we need to all be sought after, and we all need to be seeking after one another. And that's the absolute beauty of being involved and invested in a community and in a fellowship of disciples who desire to live out the one another of the New Testament together. We all have a tendency to wander. We need to be brought back. Paul tells the Galatians, Brother, if anyone caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. So keep watch on yourselves, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Jude says, And have mercy on those who doubt, saving others by snatching them out of the fire. So have mercy on some that are doubting, but snatch others. Grab them. And we do this for others because this is what has been done for us. And so the very last words of James are verse 20. He says this, Whoever brings back a sinner from wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. And here's some questions for you. Can you think of anyone who covered a multitude of our sins by seeking us out? Can you think of someone who did all the basic things perfectly? A man who spoke that which was true always. A man who spent restless nights in restless prayer for God's will to be done and who prayed that we might not fall in temptation. Can you think of anyone who might have laid down his life while bringing us wandering sheep back to our Father? Can you think of someone whose words resolutely mattered? Someone whose prayers bound Satan so that Peter wouldn't be sifted like wheat. Someone who suffered for sin, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us wanderers back to the God that we had abandoned. Of course, who are we talking about? Who? You can say Jesus in church, yeah. Jesus. So we want to move into an intentional time of remembrance about what he did for us as we celebrate the ordinance of Holy Communion. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this epistle. This is amazing of what we've been instructed with. And God, as we enter into a time of intentional remembrance about what you did for us as you sought us out, may we be willing to go seek out other people that are not in compliance and obedience to all that James wrote in the last five chapters of this book. God, help us to have intentional remembrance now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.